welcome to Confound of Illegal News here on Waterberg Stereo. The program is sponsored by DeWitt and DeVilliers Brokers here in Rustenburg. Susanne DeWitt will firstly join us to discuss a certain uh, important question related to third-party claims. Motor vehicle accident uh, happened and uh, suicide after that. The question is, can you still claim from the um, RAF, the Road Accident Fund? And then uh, Elmarie Richter will uh, talk to us about a very important court case related to divorces and specifically spouses married out of community of property without the accrual system. So if that applies to you, or if you are interested in learning a couple of things related to a divorce, please stay tuned. And uh, please send us your questions uh, to info at vvd.co.za. I'm joined by Susan DeVette from our third-party claims department. Thanks for, for joining us, uh, Susan. Thank you for having me. So, yeah, I think most of our listeners and viewers are aware of a third-party claim that one can institute after a motor vehicle accident. But maybe you can just, in principle, explain, you know, when can you claim, um, et cetera? Um, the Section 17 of the Road Accident Fund Act actually stipulates perfectly uh, well within the parameters of who can claim and who cannot. So, for instance, um, I'm just going to, out of memory, cite the Act. I hope I can remember everything. So, Section 17 um, stipulates that the fund uh, must compensate um, any person um, for uh, damages or loss caused uh, by an accident due to negligent driving or wrongful act of a driver. So, it's related to a motor vehicle yes. um, accident. In other words, someone driving a motor vehicle. That's one of a the... Motor vehicle? Um, any place in the Republic of South Africa. Yes. So anyone that suffers damage, injuries, or loss of support, loss of income can claim. But the, you must prove wrongfulness and negligence inside of the other trial. Okay. And how is this third-party fund, the road accident fund, uh, financed? Uh, one often hears or sees in the news that it's uh, it's solvent, that there's not enough money. Uh, so where do they get their money from? Uh, I must say the, the RAF did struggle uh, during COVID uh, because um, the RAF's funding comes from fuel levy. It's currently two rand and 18 cents per litre for petrol and diesel. And um, the RAF gets compensated for every litre that gets sold. So during COVID, there was people didn't travel as much. So the RAF had, had some issues apart from other issues that we know of, misspending and and so forth. But the insolvency as such is then actually not such a big problem because there's a constant income as you know people buy petrol and diesel yes. and the, the, the levy is, is paid over to the RAF. Okay, but let's maybe get to the case that we actually wanted to discuss uh, today and maybe you can first give us the facts. Okay, so the facts is okay, this is a very important, um, interesting case for me. Uh, the facts are as follows. So the accident occurred on the 21st of June 2014. And the deceased at the time just, he only sustained orthopedic injuries. Um, the claim was lodged by his attorneys against RAF. They issued summons. They sent him to medical legal experts, um, orthopedic surgeon, occupational therapist, and clinical psychologist. Um, but unfortunately, in December 2016, he committed suicide. So that was two and a half years after the accident. 
the after his family, his wife, um, lodged a claim for loss of support for her and the minor children. Um, so that claim was instituted, summons was issued, and so forth. Um, then what happened uh, further was that the plaintiff had to, now the, the deceased wife, she's a plaintiff, she had to prove uh, on a balance of probabilities that his suicide is a direct cause mm. of the injuries he sustained in that accident. Mm. You mentioned earlier that you have a third party claim if the loss results from the driving of a motor vehicle. Yes. So obviously it could now be argued that the driving of the motor vehicle didn't cause his death. It was what happened in between the suicide. Yes. That there was a new intervening act. Yes. Yes. Okay. So the court also had to look at the question. Was there a nexus, a legal nexus between the suicide and the injuries he sustained? Mm. So did the injuries cause um, a psychological condition or psychiatric condition that caused him to commit suicide? Mm. Okay. And, and, and the outcome, I, I, I'm sure everybody's been curious to know. So did the court find that they could claim? So was it uh, not too far away from the motor vehicle accident or did they say no, the suicide came in between, so there is no claim. Unfortunately, the court found that there is no, they, they cannot claim. Um, the, the plaintiff, which is now the, the wife, could not prove um, the nexus between the suicide and the injuries. Um, the, the evidence wasn't enough. So to give you an example, uh, she testified, she was very honest, um, to be true. She testified that he never suffered from depression, mm. never, not even before the accident or after the accident. His mm. mother also testified she had a very close relationship with him. And she also testified that she never saw any signs of depression. Um, the, the wife also admitted during her, test her testimony that they had an argument the morning of his suicide. That's also a clear indication that there could be an intervening event. Mm. Or yeah. novice up disintervenience. Yes, that's the phrase. Yes. So, so I think we referred to causation, eh? whether there's that nexus that you referred to, causation between the act as such and the loss that was suffered, or was there something that happened in between that actually meant that there is no was there close break? enough yes. causation between what initially happened and the loss that was suffered. So maybe you can give us other examples of where uh, people were not able to prove causation or were maybe able to prove uh, causation uh, as such, in other words, the link is close enough or not? Yes, I actually have two Supreme Court of Appeal cases. The first where they could prove the causation, um, it's a RAF case, coincidentally it's RAF, uh, the RAF versus Russell, where uh, the evidence was clear enough that the, um, the deceased uh, did not suffer from depression before the accident and the brain injury sustained in this accident clearly caused the condition Mm. his depression that caused his suicide. Okay. To give her an example, his wife um, found him on the house of his uh, on the roof of his house one day mm. and he was admitted into a psychiatric um, hospital and after that he committed suicide. So it's actually a similar set of facts, but in this Very case similar. the court said no, there's enough evidence that it's actually the motor vehicle accident that caused the depression that caused the suicide consequently and therefore they were successful. Yes. So so yeah, depends on the facts, as we now, now mentioned. And so you, you could actually succeed with such a claim. You so if the motor vehicle accident leads to a suicide, you can prove that it's close enough, then you will succeed. Correct. Okay. So the second case is um, State versus Mokheti. Um, in this case, a bank robber shot a bank te uh, teller through his spine. 
he was uh, paraplegic after the incident. Um, he subsequently recovered from his injuries. He returned back to, to work six months after the incident. He, uh, he passed away due to septicemia. Mm. Uh, the evidence before the court was that um, he was told by uh, his doctors that he needs to uh, shift his position and he needs the correct um, cushioning in his wheelchair to prevent precious uh, sores from, from forming. Mm. And he did not um, adhere to his doctor's advice. And due to, due to that, he, he um, uh, got precious sores and subsequently passed away. Okay. So the court said there's no causal connection between the, the incident and the death. So the bank robbers were not um, guilty of murder, okay. just attempted. Interesting, yeah. Yes. So he should have limited his damages by doing what needs to be done yes. to stabilize, make sure that he uh, doesn't pass away, etc. Okay, I think uh, that clarifies uh, this interesting court case. So thank you, uh, Sun, and thank you for uh, listening and watching. Thanks uh, for joining us again. Uh, I'm Uri Rifter from our Family Law uh, Department. My name is Falker Kruger, by the way. A uh, very important decision, I think, we need to discuss um, this morning. I mean, if you look at the legal history of our country, there are a couple of decisions we learn about at university that have far-reaching consequences, and I think this one maybe is right up there. Yes. Um, but maybe before we get to the specific case, you can just explain again what the basic options are that you can choose from if you do get married. Okay, so if you want to get married, you basically have three options. You can get married in community of property, meaning everything you have, you will share equally with your spouse. There's one joint um, estate. One joint estate. Debt, assets, everything. The second option is getting married out of community of property without the accrual. So that means what you have is yours, what your husband or wife has, that's theirs. Um, there's no sharing, um, separate estates, you live your separate lives just by being married. And you, for example, not liable for each other's debts. No, so not There's at a all. financial problem that yes. uh, one of the two spouses runs into, that's separate. So even if your husband or wife is declared solvent, you are not personally liable for their debts as a general rule. That's correct. And then the third option is getting married out of community of property with the application of the accrual system, which also means that you're married out of community of property. You are not liable for one another's debt, like you mentioned, but there's a certain sharing that will occur if you pass away or if you get divorced. Let's say you do get married out of community of property without the accrual system. And let's say the husband works he builds up a big estate. Um, the wife has to look after the four children that they're having together. Uh, never, never has a chance to, to work. She supports her husband all along. Uh, after 50 years, they get divorced. Um, can she now not claim from him um, in terms of redistribution of his estate? He's got this huge estate, wealthy uh, businessman, and she's got basically nothing. And now they get divorced. Yeah, well, this is exactly what the case is about. Um, now, if they got married before 1984, she can apply to court for a redistribution um, of some of the assets or a certain portion of money or whatever the case may be. Saying that 
listen, I contributed to towards the maintenance of the household. I contributed towards the increase and the growth of his estate. Um, and they, thereby, I'm actually entitled to a redistribution, to a portion of some of the assets, even if we got married out of community of property without the employer. That's before 1984. That's before 1984. Why is that date so important? Now, in 1984, 1 November 1984, to be very specific, um, the, um, commu- the accrual oh. actually came into effect with the Matrimonial Property Act that got effected. So with the Matrimonial Property Act, there was now suddenly a third marital regime introduced to our country being out of community of property with application of the accrual. So if the people who got married before that date never had the option to apply the accrual. So the redistribution was quite an important claim that they can, that they can exercise a remedy available to them because of their work and the contribution that they actually made towards the household. But there will be no sharing um, if they get divorced. So um, there was quite a power imbalance. It was to a big disadvantage to the parties whose estate didn't grow. So they, they made provision, it's in section 7, subsection 3, they made provision for this redistribution, saying that you can apply, the court can exercise its discretion, which is very important, and then if they succeed, a redistribution can take place. But now if you get, got married after 1984, you actually had the option to um, get married with the application of the accrual system. So that section in the Divorce Act doesn't make provision for a redistribution for parties who got married after um, 1984 because they could have elected to apply the accrual system. Now, in this specific matter that you mentioned earlier, um, it's a matter that's been in court now, lots of news articles as well. Like you said, it's quite a big thing, a big judgment that, that we received. And this matter... The wife and husband got married in 1988, which is a mere four years um, missing that cut-off date of that redistribution um, remedy. And she said, but listen, I contributed towards the household. I contributed towards the growth of his estate. But never mind what I did. Let's think about the whole public and the community. This is unfair. This is unconstitutional. It infringes my constitutional right. Um, I don't have the same remedy and the same um, assistance from the law, which I actually are entitled to have in terms of Section 9 of the Constitution. Just because I made after 1994. Just because of that date. So that's this limitation that they put on to say that you can only ask for a redistribution if you got married before 1984. That's unco- That should be unconstitutional. Um, and so in, in this court case, the court actually dealt with the constitutional validity of this section. Is this limitation um, actually unconstitutional? And does it infringe constitutional rights? Uh, very interesting material. On the other hand, if you got married after 1984, you had that option to go for the cruel system, yes. which you didn't have before 1984. And I guess that was a thinking behind the legislation and those provisions to say, yes. look, from 1984, we now have the third option, as you described, you can go for the accrual system. And if you do, then you don't really need that remedy no. because then you've made you your choice. You, you, yeah. yeah. But, but yeah, I, I don't know. Obviously, we 
don't want to go into too much detail, but that was one of the arguments? It was, yes. And a lot of people um, raised that argument, actually saying, but listen, um, you sign a contract. You um, specifically elect to get married out of community of property with the accrual or without the accrual. You made that choice. Mm. So um, a very known principle in our contractual law is that you have to stand by your contract. If mm. you sign a contract and um, you agreed to, to enter into that contract, you have to stand by, you have to honor that agreement. Mm. And if we now say that um, this is unconstitutional, this um, remedy, and it should be available to everyone, then even if you got married out of community of property, without the accrual that you elected to do, not to share in anything, to now go to court and say, I want a redistribution of assets, I want to share, it actually means that you're not standing by the agreement that you signed initially. So that was the main argument that was raised. Um, On the other hand, do all spouses getting married, a lot of them at a young age, really take an informed yeah. decision? That's the problem. At that stage, uh, you love, you just want to get married, yeah. you don't really care, maybe don't get proper proper legal advice and you sign your contract and then 50 years later you walk away with nothing after working all your life to fill up your husband, husband's estate or your wife's yes. estate. Obviously, it might also be the other way around. It might, Let's yes. be careful. <laughs> um, yeah, so well, anyway, let's get to the court's decision. The big moment has arrived. Well, what, what did the court decide? The court actually said that it is unconstitutional. Mm. In today's day and age, how can we discriminate against parties merely on the basis of the date on which they got married. Um, you know, um, now you got married two years after 1984, whatever, now you don't have that remedy available. Um, the court said, no, it's definitely, it's unfair. Um, it is unconstitutional. There is a, a, an infringement on the constitutional rights of a lot of people. Um, so the court said, definitely, it's unconstitutional. The, um, the wording of the section should do away with the um, limitation of that date and mm. they should just it should just say that you know if if you contributed towards your spouse's um, estate and the growth of the estate if you contributed towards the maintenance of the household if you saved your husband a lot of money by taking care of the children for example and and you can you can actually prove how the, your your contribution was actually something that was needed for him to grow his estate then you can apply to court for redistribution and the court can then exercise its discretion. I think that's very important to also mention. So they said there should be no limitation. Everyone should be able to apply for this redistribution. So obviously it's still an onerous burden of proof. You can't just always yes. claim a portion of the spouse's estate. You've got to prove that those facts are there. Yes. So all those many cases that... Uh, that were relevant for uh, before 1984 would now again be good authority for what the court will look yes, at uh, to exercise their discretion as to whether there should be that redistribution yeah. or not. Yeah, definitely. I 100% agree. It's very important that you have to be able to actually prove that you you contributed and you you played a big role in the growth of your spouse's estate. Um, and it's not always an easy burden of proof. Okay, but finally, this is now a decision of the Pretoria High Court, am I yes, right? It's the so, what is of the effect of this? What, what is the advice to anybody who is now getting divorced, who is maybe married out of the mm -hmm. property without the accrual system? Well, this is already a precedent. 
um, that, that you can follow and that you can apply in, in, in your matter. It is important to note that the Constitutional Court should, or while they are still um, ordered, to actually look at this case law and then confirm whether they agree with it. So this, um, this court order is not confirmed by the Constitutional Court yet. However, I am of the opinion that it can be applied to pending matters. Obviously, if your matter is finalized, it will have no effect on, on the matter. Um, this will only take effect as from date on which this order was granted. And so there's no retrospectivity here? No, we it will, from here on going finalized forward. Finalize the divorce, that's, that's too late, done. sorry. Yeah, it's yeah. too late. Um, but you can definitely, whilst waiting for the Constitutional Court to actually confirm this order, you can um, you can rely on this president. And I think the courts will also rely on this president because if they do not rely on this president, they are now infringing someone's constitutional right um, based on case law that we already received. So um, I think there will be a lot of changes in pending matters. And I think for um, our clients and for the members of public in future, this will be a, a big case and something that will be forever discussed. I'm curious to see what the Constitutional Court will say. We have to remember that there is that slight possibility that they will not confirm this order and then this president will fall flat. Well, but, I was about to ask for your prediction. Mm -hmm. You say the slight possibility, so I, I suppose your prediction is the Constitutional Court will confirm what yes. the High Court uh, said. I am of the opinion that they will confirm what the High Court said. Um, the arguments raised, it was brilliant arguments. I must admit there is, to my mind, an infringement, although I also think that, you know, you should stand and honour the agreement that you signed. But um, I think the Constitutional Court will confirm the order, but we'll have to wait and see. Okay. Thank you. Yes. Thank you, Paul. That's all we have uh, time for today. Remember, our email address is info at vvd.co.za. Thanks for uh, listening. Uh, make sure that you tune in again next week, Wednesday, between 3 o'clock and 4 o'clock, and then also on Friday evenings.